the last time that Aaron spoke at my church, because again, he's family, that's just like a brother. So, you know, like these preachers, we, we're all, we always just say really kind things, but just shower you with praise back and forth. We rub each other's back. And then we come up and we exchange the microphone. We hug each other. I don't know why we do this. I don't know where this tradition came from. I'd like to get rid of it, quite frankly. And so to try to get rid of it, the last time he was at my church, he just came up and I gave him the warm intro, like, oh, this is my friend, you know, but, you know again. And then I'm like, all right, here you go. And he literally was like, tried to go. You ever see where you try to go for a hug? <laughs> Guys, you ever try to lean in for a kiss early on and you, and you just, honest story, true story. The first time I ever tried to kiss my wife, she was smiling at me and she gave me that look like, yeah, uh-huh. And I'm like, and I lean in, she's smiling and she never stopped smiling. All I got was teeth. It was the, it was the worst. <laughs> I don't even know why I told you that story other than like, just be careful when you lean in. <laughs> You better have sealed the deal, okay? You better have sealed the deal. So anyway, well, again, my name is Todd, and if you're here for the very first time, make sure you get back next week, because if, if, if you don't like me, just come back, and Aaron will fix everything next week, and that's how we'll roll. And so anyway, everybody shout miracles. miracles. I love this. I love this series. I think there's nothing more fascinating than the life, the person, the teaching, the miracles of Jesus, the, all of it. I love it. It's so fascinating. And so I've got an incredible story for you today that just kind of dives into one more of those miracles, because sometimes you need a miracle like financially. You know, that's where I'm at right now as we try to buy. We have a building a lot like this that we set up and tear down and use. And literally we're within weeks and negotiations and loans and all that. And so again, be praying for me. But you know, like financial miracles. Sometimes, you, you know, the doctor calls or you get the report and he gives you a, and it's like, I can't pronounce that. Whatever it is that I have now that you just told me I have, I don't know how to pronounce that. I don't know what that is. And you have to pray for that kind of miracle. But I think that there's still the first and most incredible miracle, which is life change. Like we're going to celebrate next week the resurrection. And, and guess what? Resurrection is not just an event that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's happening right here, right now, today in your life and mine. Can I get an amen? And there's still nothing. This is what you're going to see in the story today. There's still no greater miracle than for somebody to go from death to life, for their sins to be forgiven, for their heart to come alive. There's nothing better than that. And so that's what I want to talk to you about, just that kind of miracle and how we participate in that miracle, or we have the opportunity to at least, if we will seize it. Can we pray real quick before we begin? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, God, as the, the scriptures, as we dive into them, God, may they get into us. May they penetrate our heart. May they reshape the way we think. May they reshape our imagination. And God, may they motivate us to go be more like you, Jesus, Lord. That is our prayer today in your name. And we all said amen, amen. and amen. So if you, if you got your Bible, incredible story found in Mark chapter two. You can read along with me. It says this, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Well, some men, well, they came bringing to Jesus a paralytic. It was carried by four of them. And since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Well, that did not go over well with the religious community. So some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this guy talk like that? He's blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. So he says to them, why are you thinking about these things? Which is easier? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or is it easier to say, get up, take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he's done with his teaching. He turns back to the paralyzed guy and he goes, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. I feel like that's kind of a show-off moment. Like, he got up in front of everybody just to let, you know, that kind of, it felt dramatic there. And this amazed everyone. They praised God, and they said, man, we've never seen anything like, that's incredible. That was awesome, right? And so, what an incredible story. And again, when you think about the story, like you've got to use your imagination and picture it. Like this is some fascinating thing. And, you know, I think every story is built on like, you know, plot and tension and, and this, the, the, the dramatic tension between the Pharisees, Jesus, the paralyzed guy gets up and walking. We all have these, you know, this mind blowing like wow moment. But when you look at the characters of the story, there's a bunch of characters and they all give you like a different vantage point of like what they would have been thinking and feeling and what they teach us in the story, right? So, so for example, like you have this idea of the first character that I think about are the four guys, the four guys that decide to bring their friend to Jesus. And when you think about how they participate in the moment, you're like, well, these guys are the catalyst to it. These are the guys that trigger and set in motion the miracle. Like that's how you participate in it. And what they teach you is just simply this. Carrying people to Jesus is hard. I like, I don't know how heavy this guy was. I don't know how far they traveled. I don't know how high the roof was. But I've carried a grown man before. It's not easy. Like I remember, do you, do you, I don't know if you were with me, but Pastor Aaron and I used to be in youth ministry and, and, and we used to go to a place called Hume Lake. It was magical, right? Christian Disneyland camp for kids. And while we were there, we formed something called the UPF. It was the Ultimate Pillow Fighting League. It became a big deal. We eventually had like the entire camp counselors and the staff fighting each other uh, at youth camp. It was fantastic. But we had this one kid. In year one, when we were first starting this organization, really grassroots level, starting it up. Um, I had this giant Samoan kid, and uh, his name was Ika. And I promise you, this kid was full-blown, should have been playing lineman for the 49ers. I mean, this kid was just massive. And he, he hit a kid so hard that one kid got knocked out, but he dislocated his shoulder. He, he swung. So then when they tried to reset the shoulder, it hurt so bad that he passed out. We're like, okay, well, we got to move this kid to the infirmary now. So this was our brilliant idea, the, the genius of youth pastors, right? So we get a sheet and we roll Ika into the sheet, passed out Ika into the sheet, and four of us, Pastor Nate was there, we each grab a corner of this giant six foot three, 240 pound Ika. We dropped him, y'all. I'm just gonna let you know. We, dro we dropped that kid. He didn't know. So no harm, no foul. I remember, and then when we had to get him into the infirmary, it was like a real narrow hallway. I think we banged his head against the hall a couple times. He was so heavy, and I wasn't that strong at the time. I was, I was a little bit skinnier and not as, not as strong. And, and, so, and then they were like, hey, you got to get him up on the gurney. Okay, the gurney is this wide, and Ika's this wide. And so then Ika's like, so anyway, I just want you to know, like, carrying people to Jesus is hard. Like, carrying people, carrying people's hard. 
And that's what you need to know about participating in that miracle. Like there are people around you that need to get to Jesus. Their life would be better if Jesus were in it and Jesus would make them better at life. Like that, you, and you can see it on them sometimes. You're like, yes, yeah, so you need Jesus, right? And so, but it's, it's, it's hard. I just want you to know for you to participate in the, in the life transformation, for you to participate in somebody else's resurrection, it's inconvenient. It's difficult. It might cost you. I don't know how long like they had to take off from work. So they're losing money that they could be making. I don't know how hard it was. I, and then we haven't even talked about the fact they tore the roof off. How long does that take? So, you know, when you think about this, I just want you to consider that when you invest into somebody else's life, I'm telling you what, it's going to cost you something, but it's worth it. If you're taking notes, the value of the person outweighs the difficulty of the task. The value of the person outweighs the difficulty of the task. And so no matter what it takes, we're trying to bring somebody to Jesus. Now, the, there's other people in the story too. Like for instance, there's a crowd there and the crowd is so massive that they cannot get to Jesus. And all they do is become the obstacle. That's what you really learn is that there are always obstacles to getting people to Jesus. Sometimes it's just their obstacle, right? Like their sin, their past, their guilt, their bad church experience. Can I get a, can I get a what, what name? You ever, you ever had that before? You're like, no, I did the church thing. I, I, those people were not kind to me. You know, or the, I had something weird go down. And so you have all these obstacles that you have to work through. It's their doubt. It's their issues. It's whatever they're going through. It's their questions. It's their upbringing and what mom said and what they read on the internet and what this YouTube video they watched. They got these obstacles keep them from coming to Jesus. But you know what I realized? I can't control their obstacles, but I, I realized I have obstacles. Yeah. Like sometimes the reason why, sometimes I'm the obstacle, I'm the crowd in the way. Sometimes I'm the one that's maybe not engaged, I'm not being thoughtful, I'm not being spiritually minded when it comes to those people. And you know what the biggest thing is? This is just me, I'm just gonna be honest. You know what my biggest issue is, my biggest obstacle? Sometimes I'm just busy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just busy. And you talk to people, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm busy. And you just got so much on your plate that I got, do you understand how much, how many things my kids are in or what's weighing on me or when I, how many hours a week this, do you know who I'm married to? You know, you go through your, but I, I'm just, sometimes I'm too busy. They actually did a study on this. It was, a, it was a study out of Princeton. They actually took kids from their theology department and they did a study. They broke them into two camps and they told them this. They said, hey, you got to give a speech just a five-minute speech. You can choose to either talk about why you decided to go into, you know, kind of a theology degree, or we want you to give a talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? So that was what you could choose from, because they wanted to see if the Good Samaritan had any role to play in your psyche. So then what they did was they said, hey, but the speech isn't here. You got to go to this other hall kind of across the campus. One group they said, hey, you got plenty of time. Take your time. You're, you're about 30 minutes. The other group, they lied to him. And they said, hey, you're running late, though. You, actually, this should have started five minutes ago. I need you to get across town, across campus. And then what they did was they staged an actor in between. It was hurting, in pain, suffering, like something had gone wrong. And then the, it, they had to pass by this guy. And then they wanted to see, like, does, does Good Samaritan, if, like, that's what it is, right? Like, I need to help this hurting guy. They realized that had no bearing. <laughs> it does not matter. So if you're like, hey, I read the Bible today. Good. But if it don't show up, it, it doesn't matter. So anyway, 
what they noticed was is that the huge difference was the people that thought they were rushed, they almost all overlooked that dude. They were on their way to say, hey, here's why I, why I care about the scriptures, or hey, here's what the Good Samaritan means in my life, and they walked right past a suffering man to do so. But the difference was if they were busy or not. And it was so drastically different with the people that said, hey, they had time. And so again, just the obstacles of saying, hey, if I want to participate in somebody else's resurrection, if I want to participate in their life change, sometimes I need to get out of my own way and actually remember I get to participate in the miracle. Now, there's some other people in the story too, though. There's the religious people. You know what the religious people teach you? Nothing. (laughs) And the reason why is because religious people don't carry people to Jesus. They're too busy arguing the details and end up missing the point. Yeah, like sometimes sometimes the, the religious person there, and they would like, I had this happen at church the other day. I haven't been offended in a while. It's been like two or three years since I've been like offended. I got offended the other day. You know that feeling where you're like, God, I could punch you. I really, I feel, I feel, is that bad? You know, you double check the scriptures. Like I could punch you. This couple came down. I, I just got done preaching two services. You know, you're a little tired. And they were like, hey, we need to talk to you about your eschatology. I'm like, what? Yeah, we need to know. Are you pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip, pre-millennial, amillennial? But I'm like, uh, sure, yes. Yeah, I'm, I was like, I'm pan-millennial, and they're like, we don't know what that means. I'm like, I think it'll all pan out eventually, I think. I'll let God do whatever God wants to do there. They did not like that answer. And I thought, I have not, and they, and they literally were just so badgering me, but it was, it was they were mean-spirited. And I was like, and I, I looked at him, and you don't do this often because, like, you're a pastor, you love people, believe in people, believe the best. I looked them dead in their eye, I'm like, hey, just so you know, I'm not your guy, and you don't belong here. I love you, and I hope you find a great church somewhere else. I was like, because, because here's the deal. If your need to argue theology trumps your love, get rid of your theology. Get it, it's done. It, it does not say that they will know you are my disciples by how well you debate your doctrines. I just read that. I read that. And you will know my disciples by how you love one another. <laughs> yeah, so that was the determining factor was not how well you debated your doctrines. That can get obnoxious real quick. As Rev, I don't think that's in there either. I don't think that there's ever a, a scripture where it says you get to the pearly gates of heaven and there's like an exam and, you know, exam to see how good you did. No, no, no. He said when we divide the sheeps and the goats, let me tell you, it's the one that said, no, they fed the poor. They visited those who were sick and in prison. They helped people. That, that, that was the... De- so just, just, just something to think about there. So religious people, they might teach us something, but I don't know that they teach us the right thing. They teach us what not to be. And so, but, but, so you got the crowd, the guys, but don't forget the paralyzed guys in the mix. And the paralyzed guy teaches you this. <laughs> the paralyzed guy teaches you this. You don't come to Jesus on your own. He didn't get there on his own. He couldn't. He literally could not physically get himself to Jesus. And so when you think about this, what do you see? Man, we're all like that. Because I, I remember like I, when I became a Christian, I was 17 years old, and I prayed a little prayer on my bedside by myself. And I thought, well, I kind of I came to faith on my own. No, you didn't. Stop it. My mom and dad took me to church faithfully, even when I said I didn't want to go. And I had this grandma 
I had this grandma that was blind, and the only way she could read her Bible was with a magnifying glass. And bless God, that woman got up every morning, read her Bible, and she read her scriptures, and she said her prayers. And I guarantee you, I was at the top of that list because I needed to be at the top of that list, right? <laughs> and grandma, grandma prayed me. My parents, so it, it, what you find is, is that like nobody really comes to Jesus on their own. Somebody prayed you in, somebody helped you, somebody sowed a seed, somebody invited you, somebody encouraged you, stuff you didn't even know was going on was going on to get you to Jesus. And so that's, again, I wanna participate in that. And so that's where your role is like, hey, every time I get a moment, let me pray for someone. Let me sow that seed of encouragement. Let me, we, we, we were talking about this in one of our small groups just recently, like that, that sometimes you see somebody going through a struggle and sometimes the best thing you can do is just, hey, just so you know, I'm with you and I've been through that struggle too. Can I, can I just be praying for you? Is that okay? And you don't have to pray for them. Just say, hey, I just wanna be praying for you. Because all I know is this, is when I'm in my darkest moments of life and somebody says they're praying for me, listen, there's a lot of people don't even believe in God. If they're hurting enough and you say they're praying for them, it melts their heart. Just step in and encourage the love. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is encourage someone to lift somebody up in prayer, to reach out, to sow that seed. And then to say, hey, can I buy you lunch? Can I buy you coffee? Can I tell you my story? Hey, my church, can I invite you? And just say, I wanna participate in somebody else's miracle because we don't get there on our own. That means it requires you to take a step and to do something. So the paralyzed guy just teaches you that. Now, what Jesus teaches you is, is, is maybe the best because what Jesus teaches you is this. You cannot interrupt Jesus. Now, I gotta be honest, if somebody ripped the roof off right about now, I mean, that dude yelled back there and that threw me off for a second. Like, if somebody ripped the roof off, I'd be like, what in the world? And I'd be like, this sermon was going good. You ruined it. This was going all right. It would totally, and you know what? Jesus doesn't even blink. He invites it, which again, you can't, I want you to consider that that's the love and the compassion and the grace of God. You can't interrupt him. You know, when you, when you have like little kids, you know what I'm talking about. You can be in the middle of something, but you know what? When your kid wants to come up and jump in your lap and give him a hug, it's, it's hard to be like, no thanks, little one. Get away from me. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you know, that's your kid. Interrupt you all day long, right? Like I'm a pastor, you know. I have an office. It looks very professional. It looks like a very powerful place. There's books everywhere. You people come into my office, they're like, hello, pastor, you know. My kids come into my room, man, they're just knocking stuff off the shelf and picking up everything, look through everything, jump in my lap. They don't care because you know what they know? They cannot interrupt their dad because that's, that, that, that's my world. That's what I care about. What does that tell you about Jesus? You can't interrupt Jesus. Why? Because you are his world. This is all he really wants is for you to interrupt him. As a matter of fact, there's an invitation for you to come and interrupt Jesus. That's what he wants. And so Jesus invites the moment in. And then of course he does something crazy. He forgives the guy first, which just makes everybody mad, right? And then the theological implications of this one's a little weird because you have to like wrestle with this. The Bible actually says that Jesus looked at the, the, their faith, the plural of the people that brought him in. And then he looked at that guy and said, you're forgiven. I don't know how that works because my whole life I was told that I had to say the right prayer at the right time. And, it, you know, like, but Jesus said, I looked at their faith. I'll, 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 it's, I'll credit their faith to you. I don't know what you want to do with that. But all I know is this then. This is the impression I get. Jesus is looking for every excuse possible to bless you, forgive you, and bring you in. If he's like, look, I'll take their faith if I can just draw you in. 
that lets you to, you can't interrupt Jesus and he's just looking for a good excuse to bring you closer and closer to him. And so he's looking for that excuse. And so the, the big moral of the story is simply this, is that bringing people to Jesus creates the most incredible moments. And I'm telling you what, when you, if you've ever been a part of somebody else's life change, it changes your heart just as much. There's something powerful to coming to church with somebody who's, who's kind of away from God at the time. And you know what? You come to church differently. When you come to church and you've got your friend with you who you know is away from God, but again, you've been praying for them, you love them. Again, you know that their life would be better if Jesus were in it and Jesus would make them so much better at life. Like, and you're, you're so praying that like the good greeter is at the door. Not the weird one with the, with the good one. Please be the good greeter at the door. And I, I really hope there's a parking place. And I, and I, hope, I, mean, I hope they do the good songs. There's that one song I don't like. I hate that song, but I really hope they do the good. I wonder if I could text somebody the song lineup they ought to do this week. I wonder, you know, and, and Pastor Aaron, don't you embarrass me. Pastor Aaron, it better be good. You ever feel that pressure? Yeah. And I'm telling you what, when you come to church with somebody who's away from God, you experience it so much differently because you know what's the forefront of your mind? See, sometimes you come to church and you want to make it all about you and you, and, and you need to sometimes. Sometimes you're like, no, God, I need you today. But sometimes when you come to church with that friend, you're like, man, it better be on point today. It better be good today. You know, you're rooting for it. You just see it and feel it differently because all you want to do is be a part of that incredible moment. But you got to risk it. You got, you got to do something. As my and sometimes the, the pain of regret hits you too if you don't do it. I was, in, I was in Maui a few years ago. It's the only time I've ever been to Maui. It's beautiful. Some friends invited me. We're on this beach. It's called, I think it's called Big Beach. It's down on like the south side of town. And my wife is acting like a child, just jumping in the waves and acting like a kid. And it's just the most beautiful. It's exactly what you would think Hawaii should be. Change your life. It's beautiful. And while we're on the beach, sunbathing in the beautiful tropics, it's amazing. We see this massive school of dolphins go by. It's just gorgeous. But they're really far out. It feels like they're at least 100, 150 yards out. And I have a background as a lifeguard, a swimmer and all that. So I'm like, I could get out there to them. I could, I could get out there. And so, but I'm like, it's, it's, but it's too far. It's too far. And then, you know, about, about 20, 30 minutes later, they come back again. And I'm like, I wish I would have known that. I would have I gone, gone out there. And then, and then I thought to myself, I bet they're going to come back again. I will not miss this moment. So I swam like 150 yards out. I'm like, I wonder if there's sharks out here. That's what you're really thinking. I'm like, are there, are there sharks out here? I bet, I bet there are. But maybe the dolphins will save me, you know. And so sure enough, uh, I go out there. And a couple other people from the beach go out there with me too. And so like, and we're out there waiting in the water, just hoping that the dolphins come out. We're waiting out in the water for like 30 minutes. And sure enough, all of a sudden we see them. And I'm talking about like a hundred of them. And they're, with, they're, they're within me and you right here. I tried to touch them, but they're like, no, thank you. <laughs> they, just, they just slide a little bit. But I'm out there swimming with the dolphins, close to them, to me and you. It was the most beautiful and majestic and wonderful thing. And I'm like, that's, and eventually they just keep swimming off into the Pacific Ocean. And, and so I go, I go back to shore. My friends are there like, and they're like, oh my gosh, you got to swim with the dolphins. And I'm like, it was the most. So one person got done and they said, that was the most incredible moment. That was unbelievable. And the other person on the beach was like, I so wish I would have swam out there. It would have been worth it. That's what life is like. You have these moments in life where you just got to go take it. You got to go risk it. You got to go just put your faith out there and say, what if? And let me, let me go put it out there because I'm telling you, being a part of life change, it's the most incredible moment. That's why we tell this story today. For 2,000 years, we've been telling this story. 
Why? Because it's a great story. It reminds me I want to participate in somebody else's miracle. I want to be a part of that. And the opposite side is, is a tragedy. As a matter of fact, there's this other story. It's in 1985, New Orleans Municipal Pools. They have pools all over the city. And in 1985, they were, they were at the end of their, their pool season, and they decided to have a celebration because for the first year, in like 10 years or something, they had zero drownings. And they're like, we need to celebrate that. That is, what an accomplishment. So they throw this party for 200 guests, half of which are lifeguards. And they threw a pool party, right? Because that's what you do. And so they throw a pool party, and at the end of the night, they found somebody in the deep end of the pool, fully dressed, and they had drowned. We're like, what a tragedy. And the headline simply read this. And his name was Jerome Moody. He was 31 years old. And the headline finished with this line. He had drowned, surrounded by lifeguards. And I read that. I thought, I think that's us sometimes. I think, I think, we're, life, I think we're lifeguards. And I, I think sometimes people around us are drowning a little bit. And I, and I feel like we're, we're the guys and there's people paralyzed around us. They're not, maybe not physically paralyzed, but they're spiritually paralyzed. They're around us and they're right there. And they're so in desperate need of somebody to say, I will believe in you. I will pray for you. I'll encourage you. I'll invite you. I will promise you a buffet lunch. Bless God. As a matter of fact, I was baptized yesterday into Texas. I went to Whataburger. I went to Whataburger. No mustard to change it out for mayonnaise. Thank you, Cody. Uh, you know, whatever Cody ordered for me. I said, uh, Cody, I want to be Texan. You order, and I will eat it. And it was delicious. What a burger. More like, what a treat. Anyway. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. There, there are these moments where you get to say, hey, look, come to church, and I'll buy you what a burger after. Whatever it takes. If you ever notice that, Jesus uses food all the time. As a matter of fact, every time, every moment after the resurrection, he's eating. So just go for lean into the food thing, okay? (laughs) Whatever it takes to say, I want to be a part of your miracle. I want to be a part of your life transformation. Can I give you one more scripture? It's such a simple scripture. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 says, And Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I want you to just consider this. This is his first moment with them. And he's like, I'm recruiting you to be on my team. And he goes, I'm going to make you. Now, if I would have been the leader, I'd have been like, I'm going to make you brave and strong. I'm going to make you a great leader. I'm going to make you impactful. I'm going to make you powerful. Jesus would have looked at me and said, I need to make you a little more holy. You know, whatever it is. There would have been a lot of things that Jesus needed to make me. I promise. But the first thing he started with was, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, he's talking to fishermen who their whole life they were trained on how being really good at getting fish in the boat. What he was saying was something along the lines of this. Follow me, and I'm going to make you really good at connecting people to my heavenly Father. Come with me. Watch. We're going to build this thing. We're going to grow this thing. We're in it together. The only way we experience a miracle is to participate in it together. And the end walk away is this, is that really for me to follow means I have to be fishing. So if I'm following, I'm fishing. And if I'm not fishing, I'm not following. Because he said that if I followed him, he would make me a fisher of men. Would you bow your head with me today? 
Hey, right now, I, I, I need you to put somebody on your mind. I need you to picture them. It could be your neighbor. It could be your friend. It could be Uncle Larry. It could be your crazy hairdresser named Tiffany. It can be anybody you want. What, whoever it is that you know, their life would be better if Jesus were in it. And Jesus would make them better at life. Who you got? Who you got on your heart right now? Because this week, let's be praying for an opportunity. Let's pray for an opportunity to connect with them. Let's pray for an opportunity to bring them and invite them. It could be as simple as this. This is, this may be the trick. Hey, what do you, where are you going to church this Easter? Just assume they're going. Uh, they're probably not, but assume they're going. But hey, where are you going for church this Easter? And then when they say, oh, we're not reading you know, it. Oh, perfect. You should come with me to my church. And you lean right in. Who are you bringing? Who's on your heart? Let's pray for them right now. So you got that person? You got them? Heavenly Father, I lift up every person within our imagination right now. And God, I pray for divine encounters. I pray for open conversations. I pray that their hearts would be softened. I pray, God, that they would be curious and interested. I pray that something would happen in their week this week that would actually spur them to the idea of what if maybe, maybe, maybe there is something more and it will only be found in the person of Jesus, just maybe, maybe, maybe. And so God, I pray that you'd create that divine moment, create that encounter, God, because we want to participate in the miracle. Lord, that is our prayer in Jesus' mighty name. We all said amen.